Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk about all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my wonderful colleague, Matt Kiernander. Hey, Matt. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. So we have a great guest coming on today, Yuri from Italy, and we're going to be talking about building software in a better way, which, you know, probably pretty interesting to the folks who listen to this show. At least I hope so. Yuri, welcome to Stack Overflow podcast. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. So for people who are listening and don't know, tell them a little bit about yourself. Where is it that you work and how did you get into this world of, of software and development? Yeah, sure. So my name is Yuri. I'm from the very northern part of Italy, middle of the Alps. We expect snow tomorrow, apparently. has been pretty warm recently, so we will see what happens. <laughs> it has been more summer like uh, in the recent days. But yeah, right. I've been in software development for like over 10 years now. Started on the backend side, kind of in .NET Java environments, then came over to the more front-end part of things as that became more popular and more demand. And so ultimately now I'm currently in the role of the director of developer experience uh, at a company called Nowal. And we develop tooling basically for front-end developers, not only, but we're mostly in the JavaScript space, focusing on tooling for monorepos, developer tooling for JavaScript folks in general. So yeah, that's what I'm currently busy with. And how did uh, Narwhal come about? Like what was the origin of that company? Oh, the, the, the company itself was basically founded by two ex-Googlers. They started as part of the Angular team and they then mm-hmm. transitioned out of Google, started first mostly consulting in the Angular space, but their main interest was to build like uh, an equivalent solution for like handling larger monorepos outside of Google because Google is obviously known for monorepos. Uh, they have their own kind of stack with Bazel or Blaze, how it's called internally, right? But then... It is hardly adoptable outside of the Google environment. It's not like that easy to set up, right? And so they wanted to have some similar solution, but fully open source, more dedicated towards like JavaScript folks. So yeah, that, that's how it got started. And, and that was almost like five years ago now. So that's been quite a while. Before we get started talking about monorepos, would you be able to give a quick definition for those who are unfamiliar? Yeah, sure. Uh, so at the super high level, basically, uh, the term monorepo can be kind of misleading sometimes, right? Like, So I often kind of like more the term multi-project repository because it literally is simply a Git repository, usually, right? Hosting multiple projects. Now, those projects might be related. They usually are, right? So at least like that's when, when you get a, like some benefits out of it. So there's mostly like areas which are kind of related, like projects that are related, and they basically are grouped within a single Git repository versus like what is called often a polyrepo or single project repository, right? Which is like the more kind of, if you want standards kind of starter use case, right? Which like most folks are aware of. I like to define it like that basically at a high level. And what's the relationship between what Nawal is trying to do and monorepos? Yeah, the thing is mostly that, first of all, like when Nawal started, there was also Learnout. Like Learn is a popular tool as well for monorepos. Nawal at NX like recently like took over in the sense of the stewardship of it and it kind of helped the, that community like push that forward. But like the main thing of, about monorepos is mostly that at some point, like you can start really on your own in the sense that you set it up everything on your own, have a couple of scripts that bundle stuff together, right? But at a certain scale, at some point, you need some sort of like tooling to help you, right? Like whether that is like more efficiently run tasks across the, the repository, right? Across multiple projects. Let's say you want to build all the projects. It might not be feasible at some point, right? Because there's simply too much, right? Too many of those projects. And so things like tooling that helps you 
more efficiently run those tasks, uh, avoid running even certain tasks which are not like haven't changed and stuff. So it's it's mostly that type of aspect, right? Uh, that is one one thing that we help developers kind of improve, right? And we help their lives basically in managing those type of mono repos. But also things around the, the whole DX, right? Like if you need to integrate a new project into a mono repo, or like you need to set up common tooling in a proper way that works. Like let's say you have a TypeScript setup, right? And you want to make that work in a monorepo setup uh, it might be different right so you might need to kind of share stuff and so that that's where we kind of jump in and help set that up already in a pre-configured way and so would you say that yeah a lot of the work you do is for companies that are making you know an architectural transition or evolving with the time their developers saying listen we got to get on typescript you know we, we think it's better it's going to lead to make it easier to hire and take our company in the right direction or are you equally as well doing this with companies that are you know starting from scratch looking to scale and thinking about how to build something for the long term yeah, it's it's really on on both sides actually because uh, there are companies that are in a situation where they have already some sort of monorepo, maybe with the on right. workspaces or npm workspaces or something like that, right? Or even Lerna, uh, and they come actually to that point which I mentioned where they are like, well, it doesn't scale anymore, so we need some sort of help <laughs> or tooling, right? Because like yeah, getting started is really easy, right? But at some point, like you need, like it, it can become really painful as well, right? Not just beneficial. And so we have those kind of situations where companies reach out, or even they just go and like use our tools because they're open source, really, right? So you can really just grab them, set them up, follow some of our tutorials, and get going. But very often they pull us in then, and we kind of help them push forward, right? And so we have those situations, but we also have like the the more other type of situations where people are like in a situation, okay. We know we have those related business areas that we definitely want to have in one repo. We see the benefit because they maybe have already tried it out or experimented with it in the past. And they want us basically helping them set them up from the ground up, right? In a way that, that scales and it's kind of future-proof. So your, your role at Narwell is Director of Engineering and Director of Developer Experience. <laughs> How are you managing to facilitate kind of like two very kind of time-intensive and Almost separate, but I guess they're, they're also very intertwined roles. Like, what, what are you doing at Nowell? Yeah, exactly. You have to get people to get their work done on time and you have to keep them happy. Those are, those are not, <laughs> yeah. they're mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, actually, like, uh, that's the role how it started, basically, because I mostly helped out uh, manage European folks and I still do, like, manage European folks when they work with clients and help them basically get onboarded in those client projects, reach out to clients. But most recently, as you can probably guess, like, even the DX part of the whole thing is kind of intensive right i do mostly like the dx part and on the side help out basically what with the client work that goes more into the engineering part uh, of the whole role so right now you could probably say it's, it's more the director of developer experience also because like this year specifically like for nx which is one of our open source monorepo tooling projects right like that really blew up in a sense of like usage and so we were like, okay, let's focus on that. So we, there, there needs to be one person at least, right, that fully focused on that and pushed that forward in terms of community work and make sure that, that the X part of that is fine. And so that's how basically I started in both roles. And But then like quickly we saw, oh, this is actually going really, really fast and growing fast. So let's shift gears and focus mostly on that, that side of things, yeah. Do you attribute that sudden growth to something in particular? Was it picked up by an influencer? Was it surge driven by remote work? Was it, you know, just hitting a critical inflection point of the technology? Like what would t turn the tide like that? Yeah, I think like there's, it was basically the monorepos part have been around for quite a while, right? Like, as I mentioned before, it was around five years since we are in that space. But in like beginning of this year, even like beginning, like, 
probably October, November last year, like more of the JavaScript folks got kind of the tension on that monorepo space. They were like, oh, like I have the same situation. I have, let me actually look up like what solutions are out there. And that kind of started like, especially on a Twitter space, like you could see a lot of folks being interested and like jumping onto that. Uh, and so I think from that, it kind of started like kick off much more. And uh, there was also... I, I don't remember, was it like January or something like uh, Vercel, for instance, also like entered the monorepo space a bit, like acquiring Turbo Repo, which is like a new solution to that uh, that problem as well, right? And so people at that point were like, oh, wait a minute, like, what is that monorepo? May I need one, right? And so I feel like there's a lot of, like a lot of interest in general grew in the entire community at that point. And so from there on, it, it kind of grew much, much faster than, than before. That's interesting. So yeah, you, you think there may have been, right, some industry shift. Did you follow along with the Turbo Pack news? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. That's what totally. came out of acquiring Turbo Repo, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Turbo Pack is a different approach even more, right? Like, because that's even the lower level part, right? Right. The monorepo, like, for instance, NX uh, doesn't really care what you use underneath. It's more like, at a very bare bones kind of uh, level, it's more like a fast task scheduler, right? So whether then you mm-hmm. use Webpack or maybe tomorrow Turbo Pack, well, even better, right? Like if you have a faster bundler, like the whole Monorepo would be faster as well, right? From the perspective of Monorepo, an X, for instance, doesn't really care, right? So it will be interesting how they bundle things up, right? Because like they mentioned some sort of like maybe the Monorepo solution and the bundler kind of merging together or something. But it's really like, I feel like it's like super early to, to even say that, right? Alpha, alpha only. Yeah, really alpha, yeah. <laughs> I have a... Um Potentially more of a stupid question when it comes to monorepos. Just it's not something that I've I've worked with extensively in the past. So you're saying things like obviously having a faster bundler is going to increase the size. From my understanding, a monorepo is essentially, for example, like a GitHub repository that has a number of different projects kind of like bundled into one. So with the kind of work that you're doing, is is this more around like the orchestration of how you kind of like run and manage all those different repositories? within the monorepo or like what other technology goes into a monorepo apart from just like a github repository yeah it's a, it's a good question so from the git point of view it's really just one repo right and you can imagine like being there are a couple of folders where each folder is usually like has its own responsibility right like there's bunch of libraries, maybe potentially some some applications in there, right? Which then link those libraries and bundle them together. So what we kind of approach the monorepo part is like mostly saying people or telling people, instead of having a monolithic setup of your application, right? Where you maybe have the Next.js or React app or whatever you're using, right? And have just a couple of folders which define your feature areas. Rather than having those folders, just move them out into libraries, right? So they can even be very app-specific libraries, but you kind of restructure your code into having a very thin app and a couple of libraries in there, right? A couple of packages. And then you can host multiple apps even in there, which then link different parts of those packages, right? Which makes things very flexible. So why do, I, why do I mention that? Basically, because in the end, it's not that you have this one app and you deploy, like everything kind of bundles into one big thing that you deploy, right? But you can have multiple applications which you even deploy individually. It's more about the code organization aspect that the monorepo kind of takes part there, right? And so... Why does a like a fast bundler speed up things? Well, because in a monorepo, then obviously it might be that you you bundle the apps, right? You you build the app itself, you build also the individual packages, right? And so each of these pieces, kind of, if those each of these builds faster, the whole thing will be building faster, right? The sum of them, basically, right? But still, at some point, and that's where the kind of intelligent task orchestration and also things like computation caching that that Prince NX and other monorepo solutions provide come in is because. Even if you have fast single project builds, right, as you add projects to the monorepo, 
because like usually people start slow and then they pull in product and product and product that will sum up inevitably right over time and so you start from like five minutes ci and quickly goes to 30 minutes ci right which is not obviously something you want to have because you ultimately start with the money before being quicker in shipping stuff because you can share code but then if it slows down on ci and pr merging time well then again you're back to troll days right and so that's where task scheduling comes in the orchestration and uh, things like that in terms of scale then so some of the kind of more notorious monorepo companies what happens when those monorepos get to the point where they do become massive they have thousands of employees kind of working on these monorepos like what is the kind of like impact in terms of those ci pipelines like do they typically split out into other monorepos like what are the kind of solutions that are in place to to kind of solve those issues yeah, the solution is usually, uh, and that's for instance, like the core features uh, that NX provides, like our tool specifically, but also others, is that you need to apply some sort of strategy then, right? So you cannot really, for each PR, let's say, build all the projects, run a test for all the projects, stuff like that. But what we usually do is like you apply different levels of optimization. So the first level being automatically detecting, for instance, what changed, right? So if you have like a library in, in the middle of the monorepo, uh, those solutions, in X included, kind of build up a graph of those dependencies, right? So having a graph of the whole situation of the monorepo, it kind of is able to understand if a library in the middle changed, well, it just follows that graph of dependencies up, right, to the upper right. level, potentially. And then it knows, well, these are the group of nodes of projects that need to be tested, built, linted, whatever, like you need to run really in terms of like process and tasks, right? And so you can already imagine that would then include like only building a subset of projects rather than entire monorepo. And so again, contributing then to having, again, faster CI times, right? So that's usually the, the first layer that you absolutely need to apply, right? Because otherwise, like that's also the reason why a bare bones NPM workspace or something like that at some point doesn't scale anymore because like, there you always build everything, right? And the next level is the caching definitely kicks in right similar to what they have announced at turbo pack but they just like do it at the bundler level right so like lower level even more what we do for instance at the next uh, with the monorepo solution is like we do it at the project level right so each task that you run you build each test really gets like we compute a hash out of the, the things that go into that build and we store it in a, into a cache right which can be distributed and then the next time you run it on your CI or on your local machine, we just compare it against those hashes, right? And so that way we can really like not run a whole lot of things at all because we know nothing really changed. So there's no point of rerunning that same computation basically, right? But that, that's the kind of things that you need to apply at a certain scale for sure. Do you find the debate over the mono versus poly to be a religious one among developers kind of like spaces and tabs and people just you know are, are fixed in their ways or do you think people you know can be flexible at this and are, and are open to yeah, hearing about the solutions that are being developed and are evolving you know with time as new technologies come along you know totally uh, i think that the main thing there is you need to be flexible right because like one thing that many like a common misconception that people have is like it's not that if me as a company are going into the monorepo direction, we are going to have like one single corporate-wide monorepo solution, right? But usually the companies that I see, which are even big companies, like it's Fortune 500 companies, uh, and but they, they have multiple monorepos usually, right? So what they have is a situation where, well, there are like a couple of related business areas <laughs> and entities, right? They make sense right. because they collaborate a lot. Let's put those developer teams into Monorepo, right? And then some parts of that Monorepo might even be published to like some registry as packages, right? And they're consumed by some other Monorepos or just polyrepos, right, out there. So it's not just like one 
as always, right? It's not like the, the golden hammer that you kind of, okay, let's go full in. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, exactly. Of course. You, you kind of adjust it. And it also doesn't make sense really to pull in everything, right? Because in a Mount Reaper, you really just get a lot of benefits out of it if you kind of share code between stuff, right? If they're all relationships. Right. If it's just non-related projects you throw into one Git repository that never really touch each other or have no overlap at right. all, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And what about from like the perspective, again, yeah, to get back to like a big enterprise company, what about the, from the perspective of like security and compliance and things like that? Like, is one more challenging than the other? Like, I guess to have it all in one place, you'd think would be easier as opposed to this polyrepo. But from your perspective, having seen that, does one create more overhead for those kinds of considerations? Yeah, as mentioned before, like you definitely need like tooling in place, of course, in a sense that that helps you manage it over time. Because again, the setup thing is usually pretty straightforward, right? When you get started, uh, the thing is more the challenging thing is more the maintainability, like in the long run, right? And so there's first of all right. obviously the speed, which we mentioned before, where you need to apply some strategies, but also kind of the maintenance aspect. Like if you have so many packages in a monorepo, who can depend on which packages? Stuff like that, right? At some point, you need to have some guardrails in place. Uh, and that's, for instance, another feature that in NX we introduced from the very beginnings because we usually grow, like NX grew out of like our consulting business of implementing monorepos in large companies. And it's usually what happens, like we see the problem, go back, kind of implement it in an open source solution, right? And so one of the earliest features that we already had in place there is custom linting rules where you can define package dependencies where you can say like, feed, like giving basically, you can imagine it like as a tagging system that you give to projects. Right. And then you, at a higher level, you define, well, these type of tags can only depend on those other types of tags, right? So maybe like everyone can kind of depend on like a generic authentication utility kind of library, right? But like the sales part should not depend on like the specific authentication library deeper down or something, right? And right, so right. like those maintainability aspects can definitely be challenging if you just naively jump into the thing. So you need to have something, some guardrails in place. And yeah. then there's obviously code merging wise, like, GitHub and like GitLab and stuff, like they have the code owner file. So they work pretty well where you can at the like folder level define who needs to approve like certain merges and stuff. But obviously if you need also view restrictions, well, then that's more difficult, obviously. So the monorepo is really meant for like everyone can read, see all the code, right? But not necessarily, right? For top secret projects at a big company. Yeah, that <laughs> might not be. <laughs> that solution. <laughs> So you kind of touched on this in your last answer, but this is something that we always kind of have to ask projects that depend on open source, and that is monetization. Can you kind of briefly describe kind of how Nowell's business model operates and, and how you guys actually manage to pay your employees and grow? Yeah, so a lot of the, the stuff until now has basically mostly been on top of consulting, right? So we actually developed like the, the next open source monitoring tool as our 20% time, so mostly once a week, like maybe two days a week kind of stuff, right? Where the rest of it was like using it actually for consulting in companies. Nowadays, what we have done and what we what grew quite big also like in the last year is that the caching mechanism that I mentioned before, like we have like a, a mechanism where you can distribute that cache into the cloud and therefore easily share it across different machines and even run tasks and distribute them dynamically across machines so that they can be run in parallel, dynamically distributed based on historical data and stuff. So we kind of provide that type of cloud information and infrastructure, which again, for open source projects, we give it for free. So people can try it out and play around with it. But then for companies, which usually need on-prem installations of that because they want to have the data in-house in their own kind of like infrastructure and local cloud services. So that's where when we charge actually, right? And so that's when we 
they, when they either just use it and, and pay for it, or we come even in uh, helping them set it up and like companioning them like in the first couple of months uh, and helping right. them get going quickly. So I guess I wanted to, you know, to follow up on that and ask her, how do you balance your job and your, you know, open source, open source and consulting, you know, the line between all of those things for developers who are listening, who are interested in taking a 20% project and turning it into something bigger. How do you approach that? Do you have open dialogue with your employer and with the folks that you contract with? Yeah, no, totally. Like for us internally, that is, it's kind of, it can be challenging, but at the same time, it's kind of a big benefit, right? Because Mm -hmm. like consulting work obviously is one type of work, right? Where you kind of have certain like tasks you you help the client to get forward and then help them with that. But then the open source work is like kind of more, I personally at least like feel it more freeing up, right? Where you can hack on the tool. The interesting part for us is that we hack on the same tool that we then use for our own works. So it's kind of dog fooding and that helps a bit. Mm-hmm. It can be challenging. Like for us, the, the main rule was always like, you, know, you have that one day a week. Uh, you need to plan it very precisely in a sense that for planning your own time, right? Because like one day is kind of not the, not the whole lot, right? And especially like when you develop the larger features, like they might even sparse across multiple weeks. Uh, we've been doing pretty well, uh, I feel. Uh, and luckily, like recently, what we're doing right now is because the shift more often consulting and move more folks over uh, as our cloud infrastructure gets more profitable. Like we move over more folks to a full-time open source. So luckily we have to deal less with that kind of balance of like jumping into consulting or, or not. It's can be challenging, but at the same time interesting. So with, with an open source project that obviously, you know, Nawel is making money, has employees, all, the, all that kind of thing. Like, Managing the community aspect of that and all the pull requests that are coming through and the requests from the community and, and all that kind of side of things. What is your approach to that? Do you have a dedicated team set up for managing those requests, making sure that the community is kind of like heard and feeding that information through to the rest of the team in the company and the product and roadmap and all that kind of stuff? Like, can you talk to kind of like the some of the challenges that you've had working with the community and, and how that all operates? Yeah, that, that's a very good point. So we usually, what we do is like we, in, like in general, we have like half year major release cycles. So that's that kind of where we do kind of potentially breaking changes. Although like we have some automated migrations as well. Like, so usually it's not super breaking, uh, but in the sense that that half year release cycle also goes together with like a half year roadmap that we usually publish at the same time. So once the major release is out, there will be a roadmap for the next half of a year. So I think like that helps a lot, especially when you collaborate with community to kind of communicate, okay, like these are like the big chunks of focus that we are going to look at, right? So whoever wants to contribute can chime in. Uh, and for those folks, we then have like, obviously the GitHub discussions that we use, we have like a GitLab chat, a Slack channel chat where people can chime in, uh, which is quite active. Uh, I, I feel like we are lucky since like an X grew over like five years more or less, like initially kind of slowly organically alongside the consulting business. It allowed us to like kind of grow that community alongside, but not super fast. Like, so we had time basically to build that up. But like having those channels of like Slack, GitHub discussions uh, is very useful. We also are very vocal on, on like other channels like Twitter and YouTube where we kind of pull in people, but that is more the educational part of it so that people kind of understand how things work and then can chime in to contribute. But those are the main mechanisms. And then we have rotations in, internally, right? So there's always a couple of people like dedicated four to four weeks that mostly focus on looking at open pull requests, looking at issues, assigning those issues, make sure they get addressed. Uh, and to some degree, we also at some point added automation, right? In the sense that issues that are kind of going stale, 
there's bots that which are it's not I know it's not always nice, right? But like we have like after I think six months or eight months or so that no one actually interacts actively with it, we're going to close it because like those are simply some mechanisms. No, where, no, just turn up the bounty. You need a bigger bounty. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in the end, it's like that, right? Like if if people like people get a notice that it's gonna be closed, and usually then those folks if they're still interested, they will reach out, right? And so we'll right. keep open, and at that point you will get a notification as well, and they're like, oh, right, oh, right, there was that feature. Let's have a look and let's start a discussion again, maybe or some things like that. Because at a certain volume, so we right now have I think like two point seven million downloads a week, right? So at a certain volume, uh, like you need some sort of automation to kind of handle those issues. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And a full time community manager if you're lucky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if you're lucky, that might be the next one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I want to shout out someone from the community who came on and helped contribute some knowledge. Awarded yesterday to Penguin2718, a lifeboat badge for coming in and dropping an answer on a question that was about to be in the dustbin of histories. How do you store a loop output in a data frame? In R, Penguin2718 has the answer for you, and you can find it in the show notes. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter, if that site continues to exist, uh, at Ben Popper. (laughs) If not, you'll find me on Mastodon, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) You can always email us, podcast at Stack Overflow, with questions or suggestions. And if you enjoy what you hear, just leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. And I'm at Kianander. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online, Twitter, uh, at (laughs) Metkander, M-A-T-T-K-N-D-E-R, and uh, YouTube as well. Yeah, my name is Yuri Strumflorer. I'm Director of Developer Experience at NX. And you can find me most on Twitter, like at Yuri SDR. All right. And if we don't have a blue check mark, it's not because we're cheap, you know? It's not our <laughs> fault. All right. <laughs>